all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. It's that time again. Welcome to Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about women and health concerns from a woman's perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, a specialist in maternal fetal medicine and obstetrics and gynecology at UMMC. And I am in the studio with downtown Allie Brown. Um, and we are so excited to have with us Dr. Scott Stringer as our special guest. He is the professor and chair of the Department of Otolaryngology, which we affectionately call ENT because saying otolaryngology is really hard. Um, and he is here to talk to us today about all things ENT. So um, we are very glad to have him. We have tried for uh, quite a while to kind of get this busy guy on our schedule and he was fortunate enough to grace us with his presence so we need to keep those phone lines open so that you guys can call in and have all your questions and issues and concerns addressed um, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. or you can send us an email to women at mpbonline.org Good morning, Dr. Brown. Hey, good morning, Dr. Owens. How are you? I'm great. As you guys noticed, Karen Brown's out, but that's okay. The, we are still going to um, move right along. We're and one ha- brown down. Yeah, we're one, <laughs> one brown down this morning. Um, and good morning, Dr. Stringer. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for having me here. Oh, we're glad to have you. Um, so uh, we do have a caller on the line, but before we go to the phone lines, um, just for the people who are in the listening audience who may not really fully understand uh, a little bit about you and what it is you do, if you could just let us know, we'd appreciate it. Sure. So I work at the medical center. Fortunately, I get to work with you there. And uh, I work in ear, nose, and throat, as you said. Uh, we all have subspecialties. I mainly focus on sinus problems, nose problems, but really any general laryngology or nose and throat problems as well. We're certainly happy to talk about any of those. And we teach, do surgery, take care of patients in clinic, and uh, try to make new discoveries to improve health. Awesome. And so tell us a little bit about yourself. So you told us what you do. And uh um, kind of what your job is, but tell us a little bit. We, the inquiring minds want to know. We like to get some background information. It's football season, so everybody wants to know That's who you, who you root for. Where you're, where you're from. Yeah, where you're from and where you're at. Well, I'm not going to step into football. <laughs> who are your people? <laughs> I'm going to stay out of the football. But, yeah, because um, there might be a Florida analogy or something coming along, a Florida reference. <laughs> well, well, I'm a Texan originally and trained in Dallas, medical school and residency. Worked at the University of Florida for 14 years, and I've been at the University of Mississippi Medical Center for 16 years now. That's awesome. 
Well, great. So, Dr. Stringer, you said that you do um, primarily sinus stuff. So what's your busy time of the year? Is it kind of one of those things that happens year-round? Well, in Mississippi, it seems to be happening all year round because people are getting uh, allergies virtually year-round, which contribute to sinus problems because if it's not grass and trees, we have molds all year long. And as the weather changes, each season seems to bring new problems for our noses. And in addition to that, in the winter months, we really get a lot of problems from people's noses getting really dried out when we have the heaters on. We're all inside. We're all congregated together and getting those infections. When kids go back to school, we see an uptick in uh, nasal and sinus infections, sore throats, strep throats, etc. So it never seems to slow down. So how do people who have problems with um, sinusitis or with sinus issues, um, how do they know when they need to see? Um, a referral to or care from. Yeah, because people always say, I have a sinus headache. Well, and people, people say they have, I mean, everybody says they have sinus problems. Um, Yeah, or when they show up somewhere and they're not supposed to be infectious and they go, oh, I don't have a cold. I have... Yeah. I don't have the flu. It's my, it's sinuses. my sinuses. So how... So the magical sinuses. Yeah, what's the difference between, like, Like, when does a person go to their primary care doctor, say, for example, for sinus problems versus when they would need to come to someone like you? Sure. It is very confusing. So I think we've done a great job on television commercials of drawing everything as being a sinus problem, anything that hurts in your head, anywhere, your face, etc. So it's very confusing. And the symptoms from having allergy, from having colds, from having a bacterial sinus infection to even having a growth in your nose can be very similar. They're usually pressure in the face. Sometimes you have drainage. Sometimes that drainage doesn't smell or taste good as well. Uh, then you know you really got a problem then. But uh, having trouble breathing through your nose, all those symptoms can be from any one of those. So some of the things you can do to tell if something's just going to pass itself or you need to go seek uh, medical help would be anything that lasts over about a week. It should be getting better if it's just a cold. A cold should be improving by that time. So if you're not experiencing that improvement, you probably want to check with your primary care doctor or your nose and throat specialist as well. Uh, any severe pain, especially pain just on one side, high fever, or you get better and then you get worse again. So All those would that, be signs. Where's the pain? Is it actually in your nose or next to your nose? Most of the time, the severe pain would be just under your eye, over your sinuses, or just over your eye and your forehead. Occasionally, it would be behind your eyes as well. But really, not just discomfort, not pressure, not fullness, but you're really experiencing pain. You probably ought to let someone take a look at you at that point. But basically, if it's not getting better in a week, it's time to start asking some questions. And so what exactly is it that kind of causes that that typical pain that you describe? So typically, if you have severe pain, you often have a bacterial infection. So we have the pressure and fullness when our nose gets swollen, and it doesn't take much to make your nose feel very stuffed up, just a few millimeters of swelling. So a virus might occur, you may have an allergic response, your nose swells, the sinuses get blocked, you get pressure built up in those sinuses because they're not getting air in and out, fluid builds up, and then your face feels heavy, your sinuses feel heavy, and you can't breathe through your nose. So it's usually swelling from virus or allergy, and then if it's blocked for long enough, you end up with a bacterial infection many times. All right, so our phone lines are totally blowing up, and so what we're going to do is we is have a pun. Been, we've been <laughs> blowing up, blowing your nose. Um, so we are fortunate to have gotten Susan back on the phone. So um, we are going to go to Susan, who's calling us from Tupelo. Good morning, Susan. 
Hi, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm driving and I went through a dead zone. Oh, no oh, worries. Be we're careful. Glad, we're glad we got you back. What's your question? But I pulled over. Uh, so thank you, first of all, for your wonderful program. Uh, secondly, um, I, uh, for years, have been having uh, sinus headaches. And um, in the last five or six years, they have morphed into migraines. They will move from, like, the place where my glasses sit right at the base of my forehead back to either quadrant of left or right of my head and and the pain will be so intense that I end up having to take max out or something when I go to bed um, and after the headache leaves the scalp is still sore the second thing is in the last five years I have started having vertigo and uh, it usually um, happens around uh, this time. My um, sinusitis bothers me more in the fall than in the spring. I'm almost 70 years old, and the vertigo attacks seem to be occurring more frequently. So uh, my question is, is there a relationship between um, um, vertigo and uh, sinus problems and should I ask my otolaryngologist, should I go back to my otolaryngologist about the vertigo, or should I go to Anura? That's a great question, Susan, because they are all really potentially interrelated. So it's often very difficult to differentiate certain migraine headaches that happen around the facial area from a sinus blockage or infection. About the only way to do that, other than uh, just taking a history of how the headaches occur, is really with a CT scan or x-ray of your sinuses. If that's been done or is done and your sinuses are clear, generally the headache is going to be more of a migraine headache treated totally differently, as I'm sure you're aware from having this for a while. But occasionally when the nose is inflamed, it can trigger a migraine headache. So just because it's not really a sinus infection and you're having headaches doesn't mean that you don't need to have your nose evaluated and treated as well. In terms of the vertigo, if your sinuses are truly blocked up, it blocks up the tubes that go up to your ear, the eustachian tube. And then when that tube's blocked, it can increase the pressure on your inner ear and make you dizzy. But migraines can also give you vertigo as well. A certain type of migraine can as well. But there's a whole lot of causes for vertigo. So what I would suggest is that, that yes, indeed, an ENT is a good place to start. Make sure that the sinuses are not inflamed or infected. And then consider getting a balance test to kind of pin down where your vertigo is really coming from. There's a series of tests that can be done to find that. And if they don't find it being your inner ear, then yes, a neurologist would be a good place to go. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Good luck to you, Susan, and have a good weekend. Um, so we still have a couple of calls on the line. Um, I do want to, right quickly before we go to break, um, Jeannie from Bay Springs has been um, on hold for a while, so we'll go ahead and take her call. Good morning, Jeannie. You're on the air. Good morning. What's your question? Um, I've been having trouble with my ears for about a week. You know, when I yawn or something, it feels like there's water in my ears, but I, I, I it if there is, it should be gone by now, I would think. And it, should I just get some kind of over-the-counter thing to to put in my ears or think that's something I need to go to the doctor about? And uh, the, I have ringing in my ears all the time, but it's gotten a little worse since this has been going on at least a week. You know, every time I yawn, it, it feels like there's something in my ears. 
Well, that's a... Jeannie, that's really a very common uh, symptom and one that's very confusing for sure. So we often feel like there's actually water in our ears when we either get allergies, we have a cold, we've been flying recently, but it often isn't water. In fact, what it is is swelling in that eustachian tube that I was talking about before, and it feels just like there's water in your ear because it makes your ear feel full. If it's blocked off long enough, you can, in fact, get fluid in your ear. So one of the things that you can do at home is what we call eustachian tube exercises. You just pinch your nose off and swallow. Just think about as many times a day as you feel like doing it. And what you're trying to do is get a little air back up in those ears. It can take several days for that to release once it's swollen up. You can also um, use just for a few days, but you can use some over-the-counter nose spray. Um, it's generic names, oxymetazoline, Afrin, those kind of things. You don't want to use it long-term, but for a few days, it can help open your nose, which will help air get back to your eustachian tube. If it is not getting better in a couple of weeks, I do think it's a good idea to have either your primary care ear, nose, and throat physician take a look at that. And the ringing gets worse because you... You probably have a little underlying hearing loss. It's why we have ringing in our ears. And when your ear's blocked up, you hear the ringing even more. So that's definitely why you're hearing it more right now is, is your blocked ear tubes are making it harder for you to hear. That was good. I appreciate that. He's well, a good doctor, man. Come on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for calling, Jenny. You have a good weekend as well. You too. All right, John, you've been on the call on the horn for a while, so we're going to go to you right before we cut to this next break. We got John from Hattiesburg. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you? I've got a, a, a common issue with people in the South. It's uh, chronic allergies, seasonal allergies. I can treat them with either a spray, which is a steroid spray, Flonase, that type of thing, or pills, Claritin. Um, what do you recommend, doctor? Either one of them will handle it. Long-term use of either one of those products, which one is least harmful to your your body? I think that uh, they're both excellent medicines, as you say. I don't think we could really say there's much of a difference long-term in the harm. It's really more in terms of what you get the most relief from and what's most convenient. So if it's allergies we're treating, they both work just fine for allergies. Typically, my preference is to go more with the nose spray, the nasal steroid spray. And the reason being is while the antihistamine is effective, it goes out throughout your entire system. And some people can get side effects from that, uh, especially if it has the D in it or decongestant. You especially want to be careful with your blood pressure. Long-term use can cause some people to have headaches. But if you don't have the decongestant in it, it's not really that it's unsafe at all to take an antihistamine a long time. It's just that it's going throughout the body and then right to the nose. The nasal steroid spray has its effect right where the problem is. And some people need both, in fact, when you're having a really bad day because they work in two different ways. So safety-wise, I think you're fine either way. I would go with more what's most effective for you and which one's most convenient for you. Is there any indication that long-term use of nasal steroid sprays can you know, damage your sense of smell? 
No evidence whatsoever on the sense of smell. The biggest side effect we see with nasal steroid sprays is dryness of the nose. And right. so uh, sometimes you have to take a break for a week or so, use some saline or saline gel in your nose to keep it moist. Uh, there's been some thought about people that have glaucoma should be careful about taking nasal steroids and consult with their ophthalmologist. But otherwise, the safety profile over 30 or 40 years is great. Okay, thanks very much. Great information. Awesome. So um, we will be right back. It's time for our breaks here at Southern Remedy for Women. Once again, I'd like to give that number. It's 1-877-672-7464. MPB Ring. We will be right back with our guest, Dr. Scott Stringer, here on Southern Remedy for Women. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And we're back at Southern Remedy for Women. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and I'm in the studio with Dr. Allie Brown. We are here with our special guest, otolaryngologist or ear, nose, and throat doctor, Dr. Scott Stringer. Um, and our phone lines are wide open. That number is one 672 That's one 877 ring For those of you who are not sitting around a telephone, you can shoot us an email at women at mpbonline.org. So um, the phone lines were totally blown up just a minute ago, and we do have some lines open. So please, if you have a question, uh, give us a give us a call. Um, we've had some pretty good information that passed in that last segment, but I'm really looking forward to um, what's what's coming ahead. Dr. Stringer, what's the most common complaint that you that you see? The thing that kind of is the thing you do the most of. I would say the biggest issue is people feel like they can't breathe through their nose or they feel congested, a sense of fullness. I think, you know, humans are pretty dependent on their noses and uh, people want to breathe through their nose. And so Mm -hmm. I think anytime we feel congested or that we feel pressure in our sinuses, that we're going to be a little concerned. And that's what brings most people in. And um, I had I had one question, too. When we were talking about ENT, something that um, one of the nurses that I work with had mentioned to me that she has a problem with, nasal polyps. Yes, polyps are pretty common in Mississippi uh, because we have a lot of allergies in Mississippi. We have a lot of exposure to various blooming grasses, trees, molds, etc., And so nasal polyps really are a small grape-like structure that develops in your nose. It's not a, a tumor. It's not a malignancy. It is, in fact, your own nose 
getting so swollen that you form like a giant blister in your nose. But in fact, you can form 30 or 40 in each side of your nose. That's really gross. Uh, yeah, people don't like having them in there for sure. Do they recur? Uh, and can they recur? They do tend to recur. So typically we might try someone on a steroid pill to try to shrink them up, might do allergy testing, treat them for allergy, nasal steroid sprays like we talked about before. Uh, if they don't go away, then we surgically remove them. But they do, in fact, tend to come back. And the reason being is whatever made them occur in the first place. And certain people are more predisposed to get it. So two people might bring breathe in the same allergen or agent that irritates their nose. And one makes polyps and one doesn't. But once you do make polyps, they do tend to try to come back. People may end up needing surgery sometimes four or five times in their lifetimes. Fortunately, we have some newer medications that are helping us uh, keep those polyps from coming back. But a lot of little grape-like structures growing in your nose, and rarely they get big enough to come out of the front of your nose. I've looked at a lot of those under the microscope that you've sent me, and they do. They're just totally normal-looking lining of the nose, but very swollen. Yeah. So just more like a reaction, inflammation kind of process. swelling. Mm -hmm. Yes. Interesting. Well, we have got a couple of callers on the line, so we are going to go to the phones, and the first person we're going to hear from is Ray, who's calling from Memphis. we got a little Tennessee today. Good morning, Ray. (laughs) Yes, how are you today? Doing great. How are you? What's your question? Uh, Yes, I was listening to the doctor there in in the the introduction of the program, and he said something about... um, if your mucus it tastes funny or smells funny, uh, I'm having that problem. And also, I've gone to my uh, physician, uh, primary physician, and um, they put me on Zizol. And if I don't take that Zizol every 24 hours, uh, if, when I eat after that 24 hours, I will, I will uh, throw, up, throw that food up. So w- what's going on there? And, and what do I need to do? Well, that may be... A little complicated, but I have a couple thoughts for you, and that is the Zizol is an antihistamine, and right. so that would tend to decrease drainage, sneezing, itching in your nose. So right. to the degree that it is stopping the drainage from going down into your throat, many people, if they have a lot of drainage, go down the back of their nose into the throat, can make right. them nauseated and even make you throw up. So right. that could indeed be the reason why. In terms of the the odor from the mucus that yes. tends to indicate there's some infection going on when it has a, a different smell to it so it could be that the antihistamines helping with the drainage but you could have an underlying infection that since this has been going on for a while might be better evaluated by either looking in your nose or having a x-ray or ct scan of your sinuses okay okay your nose and throat Yes, sir. I think that would be reasonable since you've been having this for a good while and it's causing you to uh, vomit. (laughs) And I hate you so far away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot of good doctors up there for sure. Yeah, I know, I know. Hey, you know, Memphis is like Jackson North, so if you want to just take a little leisurely drive on down here, you can take take the train. (laughs) Where to now? We're down here in Jackson at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Uh, no, that's a little bit too far. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck to you, Ray, and hopefully you will find somebody to help get you feeling better and on the mend. All right. Thank you all very much. You're welcome. And uh, once again, I'd like to remind everybody that phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. We have a few lines open, but we do get an opportunity now to hear from Paula, who's calling from New Albany. Good morning, Paula. 
Absolutely right. Patients are very disturbed by the unpredictability of vertiginous or vertigo attacks, and uh, it can be dangerous if you're driving, you're walking down the stairs, or something like that. So I certainly feel for what you're going through. Um, so meclizine is an agent that just suppresses vertigo. It doesn't really fix it. It just it's a type of an antihistamine, and it makes the vertigo less violent. There are other medicines like that that can be used. So the meclizine is a very reasonable option for taking with you while you're going, on, where you're traveling to suppress it. The problem is you have to be taking it all the time, and it can make you sleepy, and uh, you don't really know when it's going to happen. If you take it after it's already occurring, it's not really as effective. You can certainly try it. So the real issue is finding out why you're having it in the first place, and there's two main reasons for what you're describing that true spinning vertigo and it usually has something to do with your inner ear sometimes we can have these little rocks in our inner ear that come loose and uh, they're used in our balance system normally but they kind of move over and start irritating our ear and telling us we're dizzy when we're not really moving and uh, so that is called otolithiasis but basically if you um if you're having it, usually that's when you turn your head. And you said you don't really have any predisposing factors, but that would be one thing they could check for. The second, with this unpredictable nature, is something called Meniere's syndrome, where you have a buildup of fluid in your inner ear. And every now and then, your inner ear literally ruptures, and it gives you these violent vertigo attacks as well and can make you nauseated. That requires some more significant testing and uh, some changes to your diet and sometimes some medical treatments as well. So uh, the short answer is for travel, unfortunately, but all you can do is suppress it uh, with something like meclizine. Um, in terms of long term, though, I think it would really be important for you to find out a cause from an ear, nose, and throat physician. ULMC, there's a vertigo clinic. Uh, one, of The ER physician told me. How does one get into that? Absolutely. We have a uh, vertigo clinic. We have a balance disorders clinic, and uh, that telephone number is 601-984-5160. It's uh, 601-984-5160, and they do great testing for people with balance disorders to try to pin that down for you. Thank you very much. You're Good welcome. luck on your trip. 
All right, so it's time for our next break. The phone line, we still have a couple of phone lines open, um, but we do have some callers who are on the line, and we will be sure to get back to you just as soon as we come back from our break. Once again, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens, and we are here at Southern Remedy for Women talking about all things ENT with Dr. Brown and Dr. Scott Stringer, and we will be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And we're back at Southern Remedy for Women. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and we are in the studio with Dr. Scott Stringer who is professor and chair of the Department of Otolaryngology at UMMC, and we were talking all things ear, nose, and throat. So you name it, vertigo, tinnitus, any of those other things, sinus problems, um, throat problems, ear problems. Um, our lines are, we have a couple of uh, phone lines that are open. The number is one 672 That's one eight seven seven mpb ring And um, we have a couple of lines open, but a couple of people on hold. So we are going to go directly to the phone lines. And we have, I think, Bariner from Madison. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing great. What's your question? The question is, I'm a dentist in town, and I uh, have a lot of patients who just walk in. And this, uh, I have a toothache. And when we go through all the diagnostics, hot and cold sensation, percussion tests, x-rays, and all this stuff, and we can't find anything wrong. And then we forward a question, do you have sinus problem? And they said, yes, I do. And then I asked them if bending your head down or getting up or turning, does anything has to do something like that? They said, I have never noticed this. So how do you shed light on this one, whether it's a sinusitis or it's a toothache or it's a phantom pain or any, any clues? Yes, uh, we certainly experience that from the other side of the in the in the nose instead of the mouth, as you well know, and just though for our listeners, so the roots of the teeth stick up sometimes into the sinus that's below your eye, called the maxillary sinus. Sometimes they're they're always immediately adjacent to the sinus, and so when you get a sinus infection, many times your teeth will actually hurt when you have a particularly bad sinus infection. And conversely, um, when you have a dental abscess, you can get sinusitis from that from that abscess. In fact, as you described, though, many times uh, people think of it as a toothache when, in fact, it's a long-term chronic sinus problem. And so, once the patient's gone to you as their dentist, and uh, you're unable to find anything from your examination then typically if their history suggests it could be sinusitis because they have some nasal drainage, they have some pressure, as you described, pressure changes when they lean over, then we'll get a CT scan of their sinuses. We may put a scope in their nose as well to, to look and see if there's any drainage or inflammation or polyps in there. 
And uh, so we're definitely, you know, otolaryngologists are very happy to take a look at those patients that have their teeth cleared, but yet still think they have a dental problem. And then finally, as you describe, there's an occasional patient, you clear the teeth and we clear the sinuses and everything's fine, that I agree with you. In fact, they probably have some neural issue going on occasionally, you know, something more serious, um, many times just some a chronic inflammation of the nerves in and around uh, their face. And uh, a very vexing problem, as you described, but uh, certainly always a good idea to have their sinus checked. I have played the game like uh, putting them on some antibiotics and some uh, antihistamines and uh, over-the-counter allergic tablets. Some people respond to that, but they come back or they don't come back. It depends on that how good they feel. I understand. That's certainly a reasonable place to start. Uh, do you have anything specific for this antibiotics or uh, over-the-counter or uh, antihistamines to treat this or just keep going as it is? No, I think you're you're doing it appropriately. You know, nasal steroid sprays, which are now over the counter, uh, as well as antihistamines, if they sound more allergic, if they're having any symptoms suggest infection. I think that a typical antibiotic for an upper respiratory infection is worth a trial for sure. And if they don't respond, then an ENT referral. Do you have any recommendations for uh, drug of choice for uh Sinusitis. Well, the national recommendations from the Infectious Disease Society is amoxicillin is for people who are not penallergic as a first-line therapy. We don't have to go to the big guns first. All right. Well, thank you so much for that call. And it's really interesting, um, Dr. Stringer, he's calling asking about dental pain and sinusitis, but they, our dental colleagues are also really instrumental in another thing that um, ENT surgeons often address, and that's like with oral cancers. So they also a lot of times are the first-line people who pick up signs of oral cancers. So that's another yet another way that our dental colleagues kind of help to collaborate with um, our ENT folks. Absolutely. Just in the last few weeks, uh, had a patient sent in, thought they had a toothache, and they saw a little ulcer center over to see us, and we found out that it was, in fact, cancer, found it early, treated, going to have an excellent prognosis. So we have a fantastic relationship with our oral colleagues when it comes to finding any cancers in the mouth. Thanks for bringing that up. Awesome. So we're going to stay on the phone lines, and we will go next to Cherry, who's calling us from Holmes County. Good morning, Cherry. Hi. Hi. I have a problem with my neck. It feels swollen, and it's tender, it's sore, and when I move, I can actually feel like I have a clicking, like a bone is clicking at my neck at every movement. And whenever my children massage my neck, it feels good, and there's, there's tightness, the swollen seem to go down. But it comes right back. So what's going on with that? Well, there's several possibilities. The main things that are in your neck are you know, several muscles. And then in addition, you know, you have your whole swallowing apparatus, your throat and your esophagus. So uh, sometimes it can be simple as just muscle tension. You can have muscle tension from a whole lot of reasons, stress. Um, you can also, from the way you use your voice, if you kind of push real hard when you're speaking, it can give you tension in and around your throat, and that can improve massage. 
the clicking that you're referring to is your kind of uh, voice box and then the little wishbone right above it. Sometimes those two overlap each other, and when they pass each other, they'll make a clicking sound as they move. If your muscles are real tight, those can actually be kind of under strain and pulled together. So really, to in order to sort that out, you really have to have someone take a look at you because there's so many different possible causes for that. But but either muscle tension in your voice box, muscle tension in the large muscles of your neck, or sometimes that can actually come from uh, some swallowing issues as well and, and voice issues. Well, actually, this is in the back of my neck. Okay, in the back of your neck. I'm sorry. So in that situation, you're really more likely dealing with a, a spine issue. And in that case, you know, an orthopedist, a, neuro, a neurosurgeon, if you haven't already checked with your primary care doctor, because that's generally some sort of degeneration around your spine uh, that needs to be checked out. All right, Jerry, thanks so much for your call. We're staying on the lines. Our lines are currently all full, so we're going to clear some up. And those of you who are still trying to get in, keep dialing that number, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And we are going to Marsha, who's calling us from Vicksburg. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning. Um, when I went for my last physical, I'm over 65, my doctor recommended that I not take Benadryl anymore for um, any kind of allergy or stuffy nose or whatever because of a, some sort of tie-in with, um, it might encourage dementia, and she recommended Claritin or Zyrtec, but get on the Zyrtec box, it says people over 65 need to check with their physician before they take it. So what's the tie-in between uh, age and antihistamines? Well, that's a good question. Um, so the difference between Benadryl and Claritin, for example, is Benadryl goes past what we call the blood-brain barrier. It actually gets in your brain. That's why it's more likely to make you sleepy. The other medications like Claritin and several others that you can purchase over the counter now are what we call non-sedating antihistamines. And by all means, I would follow your doctor's advice. I would say that as ear, nose, and throat specialists, we definitely prescribe antihistamines to patients over 65. We typically prescribe the non-sedating ones anyway because they're much better tolerated. So anytime you're taking a lot of sedating antihistamines, um, it can cause a confusion. It can cause memory issues as well, short-term generally as well. So I think that would be the biggest reason not to. In terms of the clarity of uh, augmenting dementia, I'm going to pass on that one to a colleague that's more informed about that. But, but we use non-sedating antihistamines like the one that your doctor recommended all the time. Going back to an earlier phone call, we just don't like to overdo antihistamines. If you're having to take an antihistamine every single day for the reasons we talked about before, those systemic side effects like your doctor's prescribing, We'd rather find another treatment that's a little more specific, like the nasal steroid sprays, that you don't have to worry about that at all and just use the non-sedating antihistamines occasionally. So that's safe to use, but not overuse. Okay, I use them occasionally when, I guess, like in the spring or the fall when the pollen gets, you know, bothersome. But now what dosage of Zyrtec would you recommend? I would just go with the standard dose. I don't think you need to modify the dose at all okay. as long as you're using it occasionally. I think you're using it perfectly, occasionally when you have a flare-up in a seasonal nature. Okay, well, I was using the Benadryl um, like when I got poison ivy or an insect bite or something, uh, and occasionally it's a sleeping pill. <laughs> 
Um, so uh, I'll switch over to the Zyrtec. Yes, ma'am. I think that's reasonable. Well, thanks so much for your call, Marsha. Have a great weekend. And we are staying on the phone lines. Um, Susan, who's calling from Jackson, I see you. Um, you are coming right up next. But right now we're going to go to Ramona in Arcola. Good morning, Ramona. Good morning. What's your question? I've been having a problem with swallowing sometimes, even if it's food or water. Sometimes it does not make a difference. And when I'm swallowing... And it just seems like the food gets stuck, and I just have to wait to see, like, my muscles just working it on down some. And I was just, you know, asking, I wanted to ask that question about what things do you think seems to be going on. Well, the most common issue when you experience something like that, um, first of all, the the thing you want to watch out for, if you get to where it gets worse and worse and you cannot swallow uh, solid food and start having trouble with liquids too, you definitely want to get checked to make sure the very unusual time that you could have a cancer in your throat. So, But it's not sounding like that's what you're saying. But if it were to persist or worsen, then you definitely should get that checked out by a specialist. And your nose throat physician can definitely look in there. A, a GI doctor can look in there. But more commonly, what's going on is there's a muscle that opens and closes right behind our voice box that protects us from acid coming back up in our throat. And it has to open in terms of allowing the food to go down. So it's a valve. And so you open the valve and the throat muscles above push the food down like a plunger. Sometimes those muscles get out of coordination, and um, that's one cause. And a common cause when that throat muscle doesn't open up is because of acid reflux. So it's trying to protect us, and what happens is that muscle gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And so definitely getting checked for reflux is an important thing. Very rarely you can have a hernia in the back of your throat called a zinker's diverticulum, and food can get caught in there and even come up an hour later after you eat. So most common causes would be reflux or too much tightness of that sphincter muscle. And uh, if it persists, I would definitely be checked by a specialist to, to see which of those it is so you can get the right treatment. I do take medicine for acid reflux. Then that may well be part of the issue, and and then you might want to double-check with your physician to make sure you're on the optimal medications and the exact right dose, but that is a very common cause of what you're describing. Okay, thank you so much. Have a great weekend, Ramona. And to the, the person who wins the award today for the most patient caller, we are now going to Susan from Jackson. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. How are y'all doing? We're doing great. What's your question? Well, my mother-in-law, who is 93, has been experiencing bouts of dizziness, not um, like spinning. Um, It can be when she, well, it's not as bad when she's sitting, but if she gets up or moves around and she is slow moving, Um, She has been to neurologists, ENT several times. She's been to a lot of doctors, and no one can give her an explanation. And they say, you know, we don't know. It's just sometimes you just have things that can't be diagnosed. And I just wondered if you had any 
recommendations, suggestions, or anything, because it just wears her out. Yes, I understand. It, it is very troubling and very anxiety-evoking for the patient and their family to have that happen. and can be dangerous if they fall. Um, so, but I think what you're experiencing is very common because we lump everything into dizziness. And there's so many different causes of dizziness. You may have heard us earlier talking about when it's truly your inner ear, which is usually true spinning vertigo, which is different than what you're describing. Uh, there are sensors in all the muscles of our back and neck, etc., that keep our head upright, keep us stable when our nerves degenerate somewhat as we age. Those don't work as well, so you have a lack of stability. Our muscles get a little weaker as well. There are neurologic conditions, which you have been looking into. And then finally, there are blood pressure issues as well, where we don't get the full blood flow to our head as we normally would, especially when we're getting up and we don't squeeze those blood vessels down as well and get a good blood flow. So to answer your question, that is unfortunately a common occurrence that you have to work through five or ten different possibilities to figure out which one it is. I think you're off to a good start. I think that, you know, continuing to get the entire health picture checked, uh, physical therapy sometimes can be of help with that, too, if no other solutions are found. Just so that if even if you don't know the solution, you can optimize the ability to, to deal with that instability. So I'm sorry to say that the path that you and your mother are experiencing are common. But uh, I would persist until you feel like you've run through those. And, and then after that, maybe just work on how to manage it best. Because they're right. Sometimes we don't find an answer. All right. So we uh, hopefully that uh, answers your question, Susan. And we wish you and your mother-in-law good luck. We're going to go continue on with our phone call um, to Carol, who's calling in from Mobile. I love to hear my Alabama people calling in. Good morning. Good morning. Uh my daughter had sinus surgery with her ENT doctor, and he uh, assured us that the other side of her sinuses was fine, no problem. Within a week or 10 days, she had the infection there. I'm thinking the, the instruments had to been, been contaminated, but regardless. Now she has pus in the back of her throat. And since my grandfather died of cancer of the throat, I'm really concerned that she keeps having these problems because she showed me with a little flashlight she said look in the back of my throat and there's pus all over now the surgery was about three months ago and so um what do you think well there's several different possibilities for that um sometimes um whatever predisposes to get sinusitis on one side will cause us to get on the other side later it's always very frustrating to have operated on what was the bad sinus and then find out the other ones have it as well, depending on what the surgery was. Sometimes when we get improved on one side, the other side feels worse than it is because we now notice how good the operated side is. But if there's pus in the throat and it's not from a, throat, a sore throat, throat infection, it's coming out of that sinus somewhere. It would be important, and I'm sure that her physician probably is looking at this. I would make sure they do, and that is to re-examine the nose with uh, appropriate endoscopy or scoping in the nose and maybe x-rays to see what's developed on that other side because you're right, it could well be a new infection on that left side. So first thing to do is find out if indeed there is an infection on that side or even persisting on the side that was operating. 
Okay. All righty. Good advice. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. Thanks for your call, Carol. And we've got about two more minutes before we wrap. We are going to Janet, who's calling us from South Haven. Good morning, Janet. What's your question? Good morning. Um, I I had a CAT scan a while back that said I have a chronic left sphenoid sinus disease with opacification. Um, and then, so my ENT doctor did a, just a CAT scan of my face, and he says I have fungus in my left sphenoid cavity. Is that something that, and he wants to take it out. So is that something unusual or... It is a little unusual compared to usual sinusitis, colds, etc. But in the South, mm-hmm. it is not uncommon at all. We see this a fair amount of time because we have molds we breathe in nonstop, and those molds find a nice place to live, like the sphenoid sinus, and they just start growing, block up the sinus, and they can't get out of there. So you're absolutely getting the, the correct advice. When you have fungus that's blocked up in your sinus, it does need to come out. Okay. All right. Well, that was all I wanted to ask. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and good luck to you, Janet. So, um, Dr. Stringer, we have roughly about one minute, well, 50 seconds before we wrap this segment, and we have talked about a lot of different things today, and we thank you so much for being here in the studio with us. If you have one or two big takeaways for our listening audience, what would those be? I guess I would leave it with that there are a whole lot of different causes for uh, the nose to feel blocked, stuffed, drain, itch, sneeze, etc. And while we take a lot of over-the-counter medicines, when they don't work in a couple of weeks, it's very important to go find out exactly what is causing that. And coming up with the winter months ahead of time, keep your nose moist. Salt water, nasal gels, etc., because it's nosebleed season coming around. Uh, nosebleed season. Those are some great. Those are some Tis great. Tis the parties. season <laughs> <laughs> for nosebleeds and stuffiness and all things ENT. Well, just the interconnection of it all is something that I find really fascinating. There's a reason why ENT is lumped together because it's all kind of interconnected. Um, with that being said, that is a wrap. We have had a great show, lots of fun. Um, hopefully, we will get a chance to have everybody back with us again next week on Southern Remedy. But today's show was produced and engineered as usual by the indomitable Jay White. Um, our call screener today was Jared Hallman. Say what? And I am Dr. Michelle Owens along with Dr. Allie Brown wishing you guys have a wonderful weekend. Join us next Friday at 11 o'clock. We will be here same time, same place. Um, and stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPV Think Radio. We thank you for your support. 